Our scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Psalms, chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. Psalm, chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord, the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Good morning. Yeah, these are, I brought these up here. Uh, this is not a moving sermon. You've heard that uh, uh, comment before. But this moving season, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people uh, uh, move during the summer, buy a house, sell a house. We've all been there. Do you remember the first time you moved and, and, and you grabbed all big boxes and you would fill them full and it's great for the packer because you get so much in there. But if you're the one who's lifting that box, it's deadly. You know, and the little ones, they're not much helpful either because you can't get much in there. So we grow to like the medium-sized boxes. That's a good size. Even if it's full of books, you can still lift it. It's a, you know, a little bit. But also, it's like, what are you putting in there? And a lot of times when we're moving, what we do is we grab a box to see what's going in there. Or we have an object. We think, what size box do I need? Here's what I think. I think we've put God in a medium-sized box. It's not too big that we can't handle it. It's not too big that we can't put our arms around it. It's big enough. It's not too big that we can't manage it. It's a good-sized box. And so we say, okay, God, this is the space I have for you. This is your box. Or maybe for you, you never had that kind of conversation with God. You never really made that kind of decision. It might be for you that during your faith-forming years, somebody handed you a box. This is the box that God fits in. This is the, the God that we know, and this is where He is. This is how He works. Here's your God box. And we accept that. But I'm hoping as we are studying through the story, what you are learning is that no matter how big of a box we have for God, it's too small. Because God doesn't fit in a box. But the controller in us, and we all have it, we want to put God in a box. We want to define the boundaries. But if your God fits in a box, then your God is too small. And here's why that makes a difference. If you have a small God that fits in a box, then you inevitably will live a life that's filled with fear and anxiety. And the daily stresses and pressures of life will be overwhelming stresses and pressures for you because your God isn't big enough to help you. Your God isn't big enough to come to your rescue. Your God isn't big enough to hear your prayers. Your God isn't big enough to act. Your God is in a box. And if you live your life with a God that's small enough to fit in a the box, then evidently your life is going to be predictable, uh, maybe even boring, maybe mundane. Because your God is not going to be a God who's big enough to give you a challenge. He's not going to be big enough to call you to risk. Your God's not going to be big enough to ask you, yeah, you, to make an impact for Him. See, if your God is small enough to fit in a box, 
And what's going to happen is that challenges are going to feel overwhelming to you. Situations in life are going to feel hopeless to you because your God's not big enough to fix them. In your hopeless situation, your God is not big enough to give you hope. So the question is, is it possible that we've put God in a box? God, here's your box. And we define what size it is so that we can feel good about it. We have all kinds of ways that we label this box. I was noticing when I, I, I bought these, uh, they have on here uh, first use, and you can put the label, and, and second reuse. I think they're trying to make you feel good about buying boxes. But we do that too, don't we? And so we kind of label a box about what's in the box. Or here, here, God, this is how we label the box. And so we've got some labels for our God box. God can never use me after what I've done. You ever seen that written on a God box? Or what about this? We've never done it that way before. Or God doesn't work like that. Or I don't have any special gifts. We have all kinds of ways to label or describe our box. But again, as we've read through the story, what we see here is one example after another about how, how big God is. And how He's not limited to a box. In fact, the story... That book you've got, the Bible, is all about how God is not in a box. In all of our life, every single story we're reading is about God's bigness, God's greatness. Or the words that is really the, the Bible uses about the, the, to describe that is the glory of God. What do you think about that when you think about singing to God about glory? It's how awesome, how big He is. But we look at situations and say, well, it's too late. But God says, nope, I'm about ready to do my best work. Or we look at people and say, well, they're too broken. It's too far gone. And God says, watch how I put them back together. You're going to be amazed. Or we look at a person who seems so, so insignificant, and God says, you just wait. You stand back and look how I'm going to use them to change everything. And I hope that's what you're learning as we are working through this story together. I'm hope, I, I wish I was wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I think some of us, maybe most of us, I, I don't know, maybe all of us, put God in a box at one time or another. And some of you may have a very small box. And so you get uneasy and uncomfortable when things are bigger than the box. One author said this, some of you may have a small box for God. It's so easy in our Bible Belt culture to have a box for God with four sides. Four times when you acknowledge God in a powerful way. Baptism, your wedding, your funeral, and special holidays. It's like Easter or, or Mother's Day when everybody goes to church together as a family. I'm not saying we need a bigger box for God. I'm saying we don't need a box at all. What would happen if our concept of God changed? What can God do through you? What's His will for your life? What's God going to accomplish through those children that He's blessed you with in your home? Or maybe this next hour, you're going to sit around a table and share with them the Word of God. What is God going to do through you? How could He possibly change this church? What I want us to see is God wants to do more than I can think, more than you can ask, and more than we can imagine because He's bigger than we realize. 
to our guests who are with us today. We are studying through the Bible. We're using a resource called The Story. It divides the Bible up into 32 chapters. Obviously, it doesn't hit everything. But today we're in chapter 11. We're looking at the story of David. And this is where David is a shepherd and he becomes king. We're familiar with the story. If you're looking at your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel in about verse, uh, chapter 16. This is when he's anointed the king of Israel. And again, to put it into context, he's about a freshman in high school. Would that make you feel a little uncomfortable about naming a 14, 50-year-old boy king? But that's kind of what's going on here. He is not a king at this moment. He's a shepherd. He's out in the fields. And, and it's not a prestigious job. It's the lowest of the low job. It's like the chore no kid wanted. He wanted to be old enough like his older brothers to go to war, to be a soldier. I mean, that was respectable. That's what everybody wanted to do. But he's the youngest. And so he's the last one. He's kind of holding down the fort while his older brothers were able to do the more exciting things. And can you imagine as a shepherd what his job description would be? Watch sheep. That's about it, isn't it? I mean, not very exciting, really a lot of downtime. And so, you remember how he would pass the downtime? David was obviously a gifted musician. He loved to sing songs. He was gifted with the harp. He had that, that musical talent. But it wasn't just music. He was good with the slingshot. Lots of downtime. Lots of target practice. Lots of songs. Lots of music rehearsals going on. Out in the fields, watching sheep, passing time. You ever feel like that's your life? Go to work, come home, go to bed, get up, go to work, come home, go to bed. Just one day after another, kind of boring, kind of mundane, just watching sheep. But that's then this really significant day comes in his life. And we love the story of David. Prophet Samuel comes to David's house. He knows why he's coming. To anoint the next king, it's a big deal. His seven older brothers are there. They're ready. They're candidates for the job. Jesse, his dad, he knows why they're coming. Can you imagine what a joy that would be? One of my sons is going to be the next king of Israel. What an exciting day. And he gets these older boys prepared. Can you see them lined up? You know, in our day, it would be put on your suit and tie. Get your resume uh, kind of updated because one of you is going to be chosen. I wonder who it will be. And so they all line up. They, they look their best. He's kind of playing the part Samuel is of Simon Cowell, you know, trying to be the judge. Hmm, I wonder which one it will be. He gets there and he looks at the first son. He thinks, this is it. Game over. This is the man. God, you see what I'm seeing? He's good. This is it. Here's what he says, 1 Samuel 16, 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. If this isn't it, tell me why. He's impressive. Makes a good impression. Everything looks good. Send the rest of the applicants away. Sorry, guys. You're younger. Job's filled. It's interesting because God says to Samuel, no, that's not the way it's going to go. And Samuel, even though he's seen a lot, even though he's been faithful to God, what we see here is God still has, I mean, Samuel still has God in a box, at least at this point. He still has in his mind, I know the type of person God wants. I know. You ever think you know what God wants? Verse 7, 
But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He says to Samuel, again, we love this story. You're looking at things that don't really matter. Not the outside, not the appearance. God can look at the core, at the soul, at the heart. So Samuel works his way down the line, and then it gets awkward. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever walked through the moment? You go through all seven sons, and he's going to pick one. Nope, nope, seven no's. You got anything in the back? Is there anybody else? Of course, we know there was somebody else. He's the youngest. That's what the Bible says. But it's really not the youngest. That's not the way the word should be translated most accurately. To put it in our vernacular, it would be like saying, we've got one more and he's the runt of the litter. You've heard that phrase? The smallest, the youngest. And it doesn't matter how old you get or how big you get, you're still called the runt to your older siblings, to your mom and dad, to the rest of the family. Samuel says, go get him. David shows up. Look in verse 12. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ready with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. What a moment. And I wonder if David at this moment even realized really what's going on. I mean, again, he's like a freshman in high school. I mean, he's young, he's inexperienced. So if we're putting this together, if you fill in the blanks, I think chapter 1 would read like this. God's anointing. I mean, here's the subtitle. He can use anybody. God's anointing, He can use anybody. And He oftentimes uses those that we would not expect. Because God sees people differently than we do. And we assume God uses certain people, and we get this message early on. You know, well, if you want to serve God, if you want to be pleasing God, then you've got to look a certain way, and you've got to act a certain way, and you've got to dress a certain way. Here's the degrees you need. These are the books you need to read. These are the schools you need to graduate from. These are the talents that you need to have. These are the people that God... Now, the rest of you, well, you just kind of come on in and and have a seat. But God's going to use the folks that that checks all these lists. But God says, no. Don't limit my anointing to your box, is what He's saying here. Don't limit my choices to your preferences. The one I choose is not going to be the person that you choose. So we see with David, it's not always the person that we would think David comes on the scene. And again, you've got to picture this. If those older brothers are in their suits and ties and they're ready for the job interview of their life, here comes David wearing jeans and a t-shirt and sandals and he smells like sheep. I mean, he's not the one to pick. But God says, yep, that's the one I want. All these other seven, they had the right look. And they were good guys. It doesn't say anything about them being evil or or bad or or, or corrupt. That's not mentioned at all. In fact, compared to all these other brothers, David's inexperienced. He's young. I mean, he's just named, anointed king, but he's not even old enough to fight in the army that he is to lead. I mean, an amazing thing is going on here. See, maybe our box appears in the forms of dismissive statements. You know what I mean by that? Well, I'm too young. God can't use me. I'm too young. Says who? Says a lot of people. That's who. But whose voice are you listening to? Because God will oftentimes pick the young one. On the opposite end, we say, well, I'm too old. And again, all we have to do is have a flashback and remember, what about Abraham and Sarah? 
He wants to, to populate a nation and so he chooses this elderly, infertile couple? Yeah. We forget that story when we say, I'm too old. We say, you know, I'm too guilty. Remember Rahab, the prostitute? Need we say more? Sometimes we, well, let's just be honest, we're scared. Maybe we don't have faith. Remember Gideon? who was so afraid of his enemies that he's hiding from them. And God comes and speaks to him. And do you remember what he calls Gideon as he's hiding from the enemies? Mighty warrior. That's the way God works. Or maybe we say, well, you know, it's just too hard. It's too complicated. You know, too much water is going over the bridge. The circumstances of my life, the situation that I'm in, I can't, I just can. It's just too hard. You remember Joseph? Talk about complicated. Talk about a difficult situation. And yet God would use all of those and take Joseph from being a slave to being a prisoner to in essence being the vice president of Egypt. So this is a story of stories about how God can use anybody. And as you keep reading the story, we're going to see, and you know already, God continues to pick these kinds of people. The poor teenage girl named Mary in a small town to be the mother of Jesus. The sinful tax collector named Matthew that everybody else had written off, didn't want to talk to, didn't want to be with. A fiery fisherman named Peter who didn't know when to keep his mouth shut. He chose that persecutor of Christians named Saul that everybody else hated. Hated. And God chose him to write most of our New Testament. God can use anybody if you think you're too late, if it's too late for you, I'd say you've not been paying attention as we're reading the story. Or maybe you're putting God's anointing in a box. He will use whomever He wants to use because God can use anybody. And no one thought David would be the one. But God said, that's my choice. Well, here's the next chapter. I think David's life could probably be described or titled God's Opportunities. God's Opportunities. He can do anything. You know, when you keep reading about David's life after he's anointed king, he really just goes back to being a shepherd. And if you try to envision, I do, try to understand what that moment would have been like there in the house of Jesse to be anointed. What a special moment. Now, now what? Well, you, you go back to watching sheep. You know, we read ahead. We know the rest of the story. It's not an overnight, okay, in the morning you're going to be king. He doesn't know when he's going to be king. So in the meantime, for him, it's sort of life goes on as usual. He's been anointed king. Wouldn't it be odd? Now, now you go back to watching sheep and you're out there with your slingshot and your, your music and nothing's changed. Everything's the same. I think it would have been a very strange season for David. Did I dream that? Did that really happen? Was that a mistake? Did he not like me? Is, is he going to pick somebody else? What's going on? But we're the same way. Sometimes we're in a situation where we think, God, where are you? Have you been not, not listening to my prayers? Are you there? Do you know what's going on? When's my break coming? When's my opportunity going to come? Maybe he had his doubts. Maybe he had his moments of insecurity. He goes back from being a shepherd. Then in chapter 16, we read a detail, and it's not a small detail. Remember in your, in your reading of the, of the book, the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. It was big. 
And so Saul has this feeling of depressed. He's overwhelmed with fear. One of his attendants is aware that this youngest son of Jesse is good with music. So maybe he could come and play the harp. And so they call him. Maybe it'll help Saul. David comes in, plays the harp, sings these songs. He, again, he's that gifted musician. We know of David having that talent. And he uses this. And, and David and Saul, they, they form this close relationship. And, and again, this has to be strange for David. He's... He's the next anointed king, and yet here he's still on the outside. Are you in? Are you out? Is it time? What's going on here, God? In fact, when you read the text, what you understand is he continues being the shepherd. He'll go to the palace and play, and then he'll go back out to the field. It's kind of a back and forth. By the time you get to chapter 17, some guess David maybe at this point is 18, maybe 19 years old. He's not yet 20. We know that because he's not old enough to go to war. Look there at 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 through 18. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how their brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Translation today, parents, we'd want a text message. I just need to know you're all right. Tell me what's going on. Or maybe here he's mailing a care package. But David goes out to the battlefield. We know the story here. The Israelites are fighting the Philistines. But no fighting is going on. Basically what's happened, you remember the story, the Philistines says it's going to be a one-on-one match. Winner takes all. Whoever loses becomes the slaves of the victor. And remember, they're one, right? It's that giant of a man, Goliath. Nine feet tall, huge fella. Goliath. So David hears his giant mocking the armies of God. Somebody got a text message, by the way. Did y'all hear that? I heard it too. Thanks for your help. But the Bible says in verse 11 that when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they heard Goliath. They were terrified. They're deeply shaken. They were scared. But David hears the challenge. And this is where we just, we just grow to love David. I mean, it, 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 we love it. Look at verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He goes to Saul, verse 32. But David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight for him. And again, okay, put yourself in Saul's shoes at this moment. He looks at David, young David, not even a soldier David, and thinks, wait a minute, you're a harpist, right? You're my musician friend, right? And you want to go and fight. And David's saying, trust me, I got this. I mean, it's almost like, well, it is laughable as you really see it playing out. But Saul really doesn't have any other options. Verse 33, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been fighting man, uh, fighting man from his youth. But Saul doesn't have a choice here. Nobody else is willing. So he agrees. Here, wear my armor. Remember that story? Doesn't fit. Doesn't, not comfortable. It's not right. Do you see what's going on here? David goes out not with traditional armor, not with traditional weaponry. What does he have? A sling. And that's it. Finally, the opportunity for David comes. And I I felt sure, I mean, as I was reading this, I, I, I believe that he felt like he was wasting his time all those years. You know how it is to be a younger sibling. Your brothers, they go on off and they're living life and it's exciting and they're doing awesome things and you're still back home doing the chores. And this is David saying, okay, now it's his time. Now it's his moment. But what happens? What does God use? God uses David. 
this musician, this guy with a slingshot to sling a rock. David was out there thinking, you know, surely I should be preparing to be a king. Isn't there some sort of um, uh, King 101 class that you should sign up for? You know, uh, what kind of prerequisites? What do I need to do to make sure I'm ready for this? But David goes out to fight Goliath, and Goliath sees him coming. Throws out a lot of, you remember the story, they throw out a lot of barbs back and forth. I'm going to throw your body to the wild animals and the birds. But look what David's comments, verse 45 through 47. We love this about David. David said to Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. Now we see why God chose David, don't we? David didn't really have a box for God. He didn't. And we see this here. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love that part. He ran. He's not just talking smack. He is ready. He is eager. He charges at Goliath. And early in the chapter, you read in verse 11, that Saul and the army were terrified. You know why they're terrified? Because their God was in a box. He's unable to help them. They didn't believe. And when your God is in a box, you get consumed with the what if questions. You know what I mean by that? The what if, what if. What if Goliath wins? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take our land? What if this happens? What will people say about God? What if the economy doesn't recover? What if it's cancer? What if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if there's another terrorist attack? What if the next tornado gets a little closer to my house? What if? What if? What if? Endless questions. Bunches of blanks. And when your God lives in a box, what if dominates your life? But David doesn't see the what if of the situation. He sees the who is of the situation. See, most people see this event as David versus Goliath. And we use that to talk about David versus Goliath. If you ask David about it, you know how he would word it? This was God versus Goliath. From moment one, David said, this was not my battle. This was God's battle. Verse 33, Saul says to David, it can't be done. This is ridiculous. And that's what you say when your God's in a box. It can't be done. We can't do it. We can't do that. It's never been done like that way before. I mean, God cannot heal. God cannot be there. God cannot hear. God cannot forgive. God cannot use. God cannot provide. God cannot redeem. And the list goes on. But David said, yes, He is. Yes, He can. Everyone on that battlefield sees the giant Goliath and the opposition. But David sees different. I want to point that out because sometimes we read through this story and we're so familiar how God was able to see David differently. To see his heart. That we see the outward appearance. And yes, that's true. 
But I also want you to see how David saw God differently. It's going both ways here. But sometimes you just read through the story and you see how God works. Or maybe you look out in your own life and you think, well, that's just coincidence, isn't it? I mean, isn't it just coincidence that he's singing these songs, he's playing the harp, and oh yeah, he's good with the slingshot, and, and, and now God's going to use him like this. But was it a coincidence that Samson was tied to those two pillars that was holding up the palace? Was that a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that Joseph was in prison with the cupbearer of the Pharaoh? Was that a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that Ruth goes out to find some place to work and it happens to be the field that belongs to Boaz? Is all of that just a coincidence? I don't think so. Don't look for coincidences when you're reading through the story. God can use anyone to do anything. He can do that. And all those years of shepherding, all those years of just being a dutiful son, just doing his job, the boring, mundane, watching the sheep, David didn't know that he was training to be a king. The Bible also talks about him being a warrior. He's no coward. We never said he's a sissy because he's out in the... He's taking care of the sheep. He's watching. He's protecting. He was able to take down the wild animals. We know that. And what we need to know that there may be a real modern day application here. Maybe your life is in a season that maybe is not really exciting. Could it be that God is training you right now for what is to come? Helping you to grow in your faith? To hone your skills? Whatever they may be, you may not be aware of how they're going to be used yet. Or even that you have them. To me, that is just the theme of this story. But maybe the way we're most likely to put God in a box is when it comes to our calendar, our timetable. So point number three is God's timing. He can move, He can act any time. See, so typically when we say, God, we believe You. We believe You are who You are. We believe You can move and act. But here's when we need it done. Here's how long I will give you. Here's my deadline. And we look at this story. David is anointed king. And then it's, what, maybe some 15 years later before he takes the throne. And about 10 of those, he's on the run. Saul is after him. He's hiding for his life. Psalm 27, verse 14. David says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Do you think he knew what he was talking about? Wait for the Lord. Let me remind you, we have no record of God telling him that on this day, or in X number of years, then you're going to be king on the morning of the certain month. It's not there. He didn't know when it was going to happen. See, we can deal with something. Okay, I can do this degree. I've got four years. Or I can do this project. I've got this number of months. We can see the end in sight. We can bear down and grit. I've got X number of treatments. Bring it on. And we mark it on the calendar. We know that when that day comes, it is over. But life doesn't always have a calendar like that. Sometimes you're just in it and you have to wait and you don't know how long. David is saying, and he knows, to wait for the Lord may be the most courageous thing you do. Sometimes we think courage is just running toward Goliath, and yes, it is, but waiting for God 
Yeah. It takes courage. But if your God's in a box, it's pretty hard to wait. Because sometimes we're thinking, I've got to do something. Deadline's coming. Can't wait anymore. I don't know when. We get tired of waiting. 2 Samuel 5, 4 records finally, David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 40 years. So let me ask you, I put this on the screen, so you can put a big circle around these. Do you believe that God can use anybody at any time to do anything? Do you believe that? See, the basic problem of Christians today is an unworthy concept of God. Or maybe I could put it this way, our God is too small. That we put Him in a box. A.W. Tozer wrote these words, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on her, on her concept of God. I insist upon this, and I've said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. Do you think it could be that simple? Is he right? Is there a lack of understanding of how great he is? I think it may be true. Not just for the church as a whole, but even for each of us individually. Let me just say this in closing. I want to be quick. If somebody gave you a box for God, I want to apologize for that and encourage you to throw it away. Or if you in all your faith-forming years, you felt the need and had four sides and you've always put God in that box because you could handle it. It was comfortable. You could manage it. Let me say this. It's one thing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and was risen from the grave. It's another thing to believe that that same power lives in you. The same Bible tells us both things. So here's what I would say. If your God's job description reads, make my life more comfortable and convenient, then your God is too small. If your God says things to you like, well, don't take a risk, you play it safe, then your God is too small. If your God says things like, I'm here to obey you, I'm more like a genie in a bottle, then your God is too small. If your God operates on your timetable, if He keeps your calendar, then your God is too small. If your God is a white guy with a closet full of suits and ties, and if your God loves Americans more than Iranians, if your God is always saying come but never saying go, then your God is too small. If your God never wrecks your schedule or messes your plans, if your God never asks you to do something that isn't in your budget, then your God is too small. If your God has never filled your eyes with tears, because of His grace, or taken your breath away because of His power, then your God is too small. If your God's dream for you is to retire and spend the next couple of years just taking it easy, then your God is too small. If your God always agrees with you and always thinks your opinions and your preferences are best, then your God is too small. If your God is just fine with spending an hour with you in worship on Sunday, then your God is too small. If your God says, well, you've worked hard enough on your marriage, now it's time for you to be happy, then your God is too small. If your God looks at your sin of greed or lust 
or gossip. And so, well, it's no big deal. You're still doing better than so many other people. Then your God is too small. If your God says your marriage is too messed up, your family is too fractured, if your God says you're too young or you're too old or you're too broken or you're too poor or you're too late or you're too guilty, your God is too small. If your God fits nicely in a box, I want to challenge you to take your box and open it up and look inside. Because what you're going to see could change your life. God is not there. Because God doesn't do boxes. We love David. Because David had a God who wasn't in a box. We're going to worship with a song to stand to encourage you to name the name of a God who doesn't do boxes. And again, if somebody gave you a box, maybe for you it's time to just come forward, ask for prayers, and throw it away. Open your eyes and read these stories. And think, it's the same God today. If you're ready to name the name of Jesus, let Him wash you clean in baptism. Won't you come? Let's stand and worship.